0: Visit RobertHalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports.
1: One one pitch ball, the best, Alvarez Get out, Get out! Get
0: out of here! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where
2: fantasy becomes reality.
0: Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome in,
1: friends. It is Fantasy Baseball Today. We have got the CBS mock draft breakdown going for you. I am Chris Welsh, piloted with Scott White and Mr. Adam Azer. All three of us in the house, the three headed monster. We are back to break down this mock draft. But before anyone else speaks here, I have to ask this is my line of the night Is Mike playing with fires or do snitches get stitches, Adam Azer? <laughs>
0: Uh, oh, he! there's going to be some retribution, I guess, at some point, but they're such cheaters. They're such cheaters. Oh, my gosh, they cheat so much. Take the trophy
1: away. Take it away, boys. Scott, put, put it take it away. How offended are you? Now, what I'm so amazed about, and as much as I can hate Twitter and hate social media sometimes because it can be very draining in our lives, moments like um, today, Tuesday, as we're recording this, where you get this breaking news where a major league player is snitching on a major league baseball team about cheating, Twitter never really seems to disappoint because on the surface, we would look and we would say, wow, hey, a player's doing the right thing. He's outing a team that continuously has these type of issues. Yet, Twitter never disappoints Scott and they give us the amount of people that are mad at Mike Fires for being a snitch. Yeah, I guess there was some of that. Uh, there's a lot of it. What are you talking there's about? There's a lot of reactions.
2: it. extreme reactions. Look, like Twitter is, is never the place to go for a nuanced take. It's it's uh-huh. extreme reactions on both sides of whatever the issue happens to be. Um, I don't know. I I mean, like, Guys, obviously, teams cheat, right? And the ones who have teams that have outsized success get outsized attention, outsized scrutiny, right? Like we've seen this with the Patriots. Uh, Yankees do not. Let's come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep we've going, Scott. The, <laughs> we've seen this with the Patriots and the NFL. Um, teams that get caught are, aren't necessarily the worst offenders. I mean not necessarily teams, not even necessarily in a sports context, you could apply this to anything.
1: It sounds like you're saying there's always someone that has to be a scapegoat to a bigger problem that is league-wide, but the Houston Astros are the poster child for it. And real quick, by the way, because I didn't set it up, but most people know the story, it's that uh, an athletic article was posted, I believe it by John Heyman, if I'm remembering it correctly, that essentially outs the Houston Astros for putting up a series of video equipment to be able to monitor the uh, the pitch calls, and what came about in it in the article that Mike Fires uh, starts talking about, and then Danny Farquhar is in the in the article as well that says, and there's some video out there that multiple people have done breakdowns about. Not only did was video equipment used uh, to uh, get pitches, but furthermore, you can see in some video during a playoff series where the Houston Astros were going so far as to use banging of bats against the dugout for change-ups yeah. and that was an amazing thing and there's video coverage of it where every time a change-up hit it was almost in real time you would hear the team with bats and uh, Farquhar who's now a single a pitching coach with the White Sox he kind of figured it out while it was going on they changed up their pitch count and uh, or their uh, their signs and it ended up working because they couldn't do it anymore and Mike Fires being not only the person that outs him, but is uh, uses his name in the article. Allows to use his name that he warned the uh, team, I believe it was the Detroit Tigers in 2018, that the Houston Astros did this. It's a big deal. It is. It is really a big deal. And I'm glad
0: that he did it. I'm glad that he put his name on it. And look, I, there's just too much cheating. You know, it's, it's like a sport where there's... I think every sport, you know, there's a lot of cheating going on. But this has gotten too far with teams using technology. So, yeah. I, hope, uh, I mean,
2: that's where... That's where I think the line probably right. is, right? I, I mean, definitely, sign stealing. You, you know you can have, or we talk about pitchers tipping their pitches. They had a bad start. Oh, maybe he was tipping his pitches. I mean, if you if you happen to notice that as a hitter, you may not even be looking for that's it, but not you're not going to use it, you no, know,
0: not <laughs> like, at all. No, that sign stealing is not cheating. But when it's done, when you've got a camera putting, you know, giving a feed into the dugout, and then players banging trash cans or you know hitting their bat against the dugout or something that's obviously crossing a line and it's just so funny cuz like there's there was so much smoke there is so many accusations against the Astros cheating and now i just don't see how they could possibly deny it when a former player puts his name on it it's obvious they're doing it i'm not naive enough to think they're the well, only ones doing it, it but
2: it's also a question of who's doing like how far up the ladder this goes i mean the, the piece, uh, the government, the,
0: in the government, Scott. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we know, we know a coach was involved and, and there seems to be some speculation that at least some, uh, front office personnel had to be involved to set up a feed in the clubhouse or whatever.
1: Well, but, what uh, was interesting about it was, um, AJ Hinch made this really like pointed comment when someone was asked about what was it that the, uh, that they were whistling with the Yankees and, Uh, It was something along the lines of that, and he got really kind of snarky about it, being like, man, if this is all that it took, we would have practiced this more to get the Yankees worked up. And you look at that now, and it looks so much worse, but what you're referring to also in the article is Fires mentions that one hitter who, uh, as he describes, found success on another team that was doing it and then comes over here and uh, wasn't finding success, and a coach kind of conspired together to make this work. And there's lots of speculation. Brian McCann's been thrown into there. Uh, Evan Gaddis, a lot of different guys kind of thrown into that mix. There's no way that the team doesn't know what's going on. Like, it's not two rogue players that created this whole thing. It's a system-wide thing. And it reminds me of the really horror. I mean, baseball is so rampant with it like the unspoken allowed cheating rules where everybody has got crap on their hat and everybody is touching their hat and tipping with a pine tar or whatever it is for grip. No manager really calls each other on it. And it's just league wide acceptance of cheating has to stop at some point. And unfortunately Mike fires looks like a whistleblower, but is going to be treated like a pariah. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I feel like uh, you don't think I, it'll I, be pushback. You don't think there's going to
0: there pu- be, but I, I don't know. I don't know because this is like because I think when you take the angle of, oh, he, he's got this young team that's going into Minute made Park and he doesn't want his guys to get destroyed, his pitchers to get destroyed. I, I think that that's some that's a somewhat noble thing to do and to have the courage. You know, I, I can't stand when when a team or a player gets accused of something and it's probably true. And then they go, well, put your name on it. You know, if you're not going to put your name on it, then I'm not going to give any credence to it. Well, see, put his name on it. So I don't think it's fair to to treat him as a pariah. I hope that does not happen. I'm happy he spoke up. And if it was Carlos Beltran or Brian McCann, then I, and they took it from a previous team, then I guess that means the Yankees probably were cheating at some point. So... Well, there's
1: a uh, Cardinals beat reporter (laughs) that said um, he had gotten a lot of information. I'm forgetting the Twitter handle now, but he had heard a lot of this with the Astros. And he said two other teams that from his sources had said were the worst defenders of this outside of the Astros were the Milwaukee Brewers and the Texas Rangers, I believe, are the two teams that he threw into that. Oh, they should be fired. Yeah. Just well, be- he's gonna be. It's gonna be like a scene what? in um in Full Metal Jacket. Mike fires as good and noble as it is. He's gonna be, you know, he's gonna be beaten with bar soap in a uh, a pillowcase. That's what's gonna happen. There's no way that the good old boy nature of baseball is gonna be like, hey, good for you, buddy. Good on because, you, Mike.
0: Because like, don't you think that the players are mad at the Astros for cheating? Let's well, not when they're
2: all cheaters. It seemed like there was. It seemed like there were some players. A lot of the retweets I saw of players were, yeah, it seemed to be disgusted by this idea, and and like I was saying before, fire, I mean, the idea of fire snitching or the idea of the Astros cheating. The idea of the Astros cheating. Okay. And like I was saying before, it, like there have been a lot of there, there's been a lot of venom directed at the Astros. Uh, Rightfully so. From from other players, from other organizations. Uh, I mean, Trevor Bauer's been, uh, you know, he's had a lot of negative things to say about them over the last couple of years. Like, I think partly that has to do with success. Partly that has to do with um, kind of the way, uh, you know, that they, the the whole data versus tradition argument in front offices and how they're at the forefront of the data movement, the Astros are, and part of it's, you know, probably justified, too. Um, But, you know, a a lot of... There's been kind of a sense that a lot of the league is out to get the Astros, and so that makes it... I I think that should make things uh, gentler on Mike Fires because of that.
0: Can I give one final thought here? Like, the Welsh is obviously a a snitches-get-stitches guy. (laughs) Like,
1: you are a gangster. I don't, I don't. By the way, I like fire <laughs> i do have to correct by the way it was ken rosenthal i said john Heyman. i'm not at all to be honest with you i i have to i do have to, i have to find my um my pillars to stand on sometimes because i will fall into a trap of looking at this and be like who cares you know, like let him cheat. I I want my game the most entertaining as possible. Sure, would I like it clean? I'd like it cl- clean. But this is this is like low end drug dealers calling out high end drug dealers. Like they're all cheating. They're all finding ways to curtail the thing. So to me, it's little. To, I I would commend Mike Fires for it. But let's just be real. Look at anytime anybody speaks up, the good old boys step in. And uh, Mike Fires is going to be probably a tough tough player for everybody. Uh, for teams and organizations to get around, someone will do it. But there's gonna be a little bit uh lack of trust in him. I'll get a little gangster though. But I'm I don't I don't think uh, snitches need stitches. Level.
2: You are a love, low low-level drug
1: dealer, and stitches stitches get stitches. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is what we found out today. Wu Tang, Wu Tang. All right. Uh, Let's let's change it up before we go to the uh, the CBS mock, uh, which is really good. Scott White set this up. We got a bunch of good stuff, Adam, myself, and a bunch of others as well. Obviously, Scott set it up. But let's go to a question. You guys can send in questions, at cbsi.com. And this one got forwarded to me. This is a great question. It's very important. Coming off of a very serious issue with Mike Fires, we're about to break down everything for 2020, but this might be the biggest issue that we have in this show today. This is from Scott in Rochester. Is it just me, or is there something odd about the way that Scott White says the word didn't, couldn't, shouldn't, and wouldn't? Can't place my finger on just what it is, but every time he says one of those words, I find myself repeating it out loud and thinking of making a drinking game out of it. <laughs> All
2: right, so let me, let me try to do it in, in my podcasting voice and diction. Couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't. Yeah. Right? Is that, is that, that how it ends up coming you out? You swallow some letters, See, I, <laughs> I have a problem. All right, and this is my problem. It's something — Well, it, my problem is that I speak slowly, and not just that I speak slowly. I do everything slowly. I write slowly, I move slowly. My heart beats slowly. It does.:: Very it, romantic. It, I have a low heart rate. Uh, and so something I've learned in over 10 years of podcasting is that if I talk at the pace i'm most comfortable it will be a snooze to listen to and, and people listening it, it probably already seems like i talk slowly but this is this is about twice as fast as i'm comfortable talking this is 1.5 so speed on the podcast
0: speed up, yeah we have to speed up scott's audio in post <laughs>
2: yeah probably and and so what ends up happening is it, it's not just that i prefer to talk slower it's that my mouth can't even say things as fast as other people can, and so you know, partly my mouth is is operating fat my my mouth is kind of behind my is ahead of my brain mm. when I'm talking here on the podcast, right? And uh, and part of it's just I I end up having to drop some sounds to get it yeah, out faster.
1: Yeah, you kind of eat the teas. The teas go yeah. away. Like I I notice you do something uh, my best friend Scott Bogman does, where you do a Verlander instead of Verlander uh you have that but you definitely I, ate I, all of those teas i've been yelling at scott about verlander
0: for years I, he's pretty much he's pretty much well no i guess i've it's gotten crap. better if the welsh has noticed it it's crept back yeah
1: well I the other so. one is um this is what the other scott does uh scott white i don't know if you do this but he go he'll sometimes go kershaw and i that just <laughs> that is nails on a chalkboard to me that, that sounds like
2: uh one of dale gribble's catchphrases
1: yeah i mean i'm not one to talk i'm an idiot who you know says everything wrong uh on a you know 10 minute basis but you definitely yeah. eat some of those should <laughs> couldn'ts inds, shouldn'ts, and not and wouldn'ts let's try it one yeah. more time try it one more time well i can s- couldn't oh wouldn't oh let's do shouldn't it i i can't do it but it, i
2: would have to slow things down so much to get it out right it's not worth it
1: i like it what, Were you could say something
2: on
0: that adam no not really i think we'll, we'll hear i'm sure at some point in today's show scott will say didn't
1: couldn't shouldn't and wouldn't and we'll we'll take a drink and nobody yeah, caught i, I went adam Edom, did you get anything there, Edom? All right, uh, let's get into this CBS mock, but I first want to tell you about our friends over at SeatGeek. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? I know I do. With millions of live event tickets and price match guarantees, SeatGeek proves there is a better way. You can search sports, live music, comedy, and more. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you could stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest? Well, they've pulled together millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate the deals on a scale of 1 to 10, and they display them on an interactive map. I love the green dots with the good deals, red dots being the overpriced one, and every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence. I've got the SeatGeek app, and guess what? My red-hot Phoenix Suns, 6-3 and three as I'm recording this, putting a little stomping on the Lakers, and I'm looking to get some tickets because the Celtics are coming to town on Monday the 18th. But SeatGeek, they want to give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase right now. I'm going to do it. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code FANTASY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code FANTASY. Get $10 off your first purchase. Now, Scott White, you put together this uh, beautiful 5x5 five five rotisserie mock draft that we're going to be breaking down. And uh just so happens that you have an article over on CBS uh, covering it as well, right? I do. Yes, I do with a few observations in
2: bullet point form. Uh, I'm sure many of them will come up organically in the
1: discussion of this draft. Okay. Well, we're going to go through some rounds here. The participants in the draft, you've got Scott White. I don't know everybody. Connor Henry. Who is The Itch? The Itch
2: writes for Rasball, and nobody by Rasball goes by their actual names. I thought this was because they were all wealthy and didn't need to have Mm. any sort of stature, didn't need to have their name out there. Uh, but after podcasting with donkey teeth, yeah. I found out this isn't true. I donkey feel very, teeth is the
1: name he goes by. I feel very but triggered with, I feel very triggered with someone with the, in the first name there. So I just want to point that out. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on watch. Uh, our buddy, Ariel Cohen, Chris Mitchell, Azers in their towers, Tim McLeod. I am in there. Daniel, uh, Preciado. I don't know who that is, George Kurtz and Phil Nibbschek. Pne- yeah. Wouldn't, couldn't, should not have tried <laughs> to say that name. <laughs> that was uh, those are some of the participants in this one. It's a twelve teamer here, and uh, I don't know how you guys usually like to do this. Let me burn through the names who went one to twelve. I've got some notes on here, but let's definitely start with uh, Scott White. So one to twelve, the draft went as such: Mike Trout with the number one overall pick. This will be a topic of conversation. Mookie Betts, number two. Ronald Acuna, three. Christian Yelich went four. Chris Mitchell took uh, Francisco Lindor. Adam, you took the first pitcher off the board at six with Garrett Cole. Then Chris Towers took Cody Bellinger, Trey Turner. I went Juan Soto at nine, followed by Bregman, Verlander, and Arenado. So we had two starting pitchers go in the first round. So, Scott, why don't we start with you? Because you had the first overall pick, probably the easiest decision. But as we've learned, talked, and I've even pulled people out there, As good and as solid as Mike Trout is the number one pick, it's not the biggest slam dunk of 2020. Oh, I guess not.
2: I don't know. I I didn't think twice about it.
1: Well, you didn't,
2: but you also don't value (laughs) stolen bases. I wouldn't say I don't value stolen bases. I just... Look, Trout's supposed to give you stolen bases, right? I mean, last year wasn't one of his best years for that, but the last time he was down in the teens, he bounced back in a pretty significant way, so I don't think we should rule him out for stolen bases going forward. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Acuna technically was the number one finisher in this format last year, and maybe he will be again, but as we've seen over the years, players who top Trout often don't, for a second year in a row. In fact, I don't think anyone ever had. Maybe Yelich did. Has
0: Yelich topped him the past two years? Uh, well, Yelich, yeah. I mean, Yelich Jel- would be my second pick. I, I-, I yeah. definitely would consider taking him number one, but I-, I think I've learned a lesson about stolen bases. They're, they're not very predictable. You know, you, you draft. Who do- I drafted two guys in our Roto League. Jose Altuve was one of them, and I, I can't remember who else, thinking I was going to get steals, and neither of them ran. Uh, Mm -hmm. Trout's stolen bases went down. Betts didn't run as much. So if I knew that Yelich was going to steal about thirty bases, I would take him number one. But I don't, so I'll stick with Trout. Scott, you know, is always going to be Trout number one. Uh, But I think Betts should. I think I think Yelich should have gone two. Betts Mm -hmm. went two, and Acuna went three, and Yelich went four. If there's a knock against Trout, I mean, like you can deal with the lack of steals because he's such a good hitter. But his games played the last three seasons, one forty. 114, 140, and 134. He's a little injury-prone, I think.
1: The only person, though, that quills that is Ronald Acuna, who doesn't have enough uh, games played under his belt. I mean, Yelich has missed games the last couple years, which is also kind of intertwined with the juice ball era. I mean, it's it's tough to pick apart Christian Yelich in year two.
0: What is the justification for taking Acuna over Yelich? I, I just I don't get it. And
1: Well, 40-40. I mean, high-end average r- runs, the, RBIs. The predict-
2: The predictability of the steals, I guess. And I I generally agree with you, Adam, which is part of the reason I'm not paying up for steals, but it's more for the steal specialist, like the Adalberto Mondesi, Jonathan VR types. Uh, I mean, Acuna wants the year and a half, or it's been more than that, actually, nearly two years that he's been at the big leagues. When he's hit leadoff, he has run. And, uh, I mean, Brian Snitker's on the record saying he's not going to mess with his lineup spot anymore. So... I think 30 steals at least is a reasonable expectation for him. And among all the first rounders or borderline first rounders, except for maybe Trey Turner, I think that's Acuna is the only one you could say that about.
1: Okay. But let me ask you guys something then uh, how you're saying this is taking Ronald Acuna, number one, actually reaching for stolen bases because I see them so even across the board. Yelich kind of embodies Kind of embodies a lot of the positives you would take both on uh, Acuna, Acuna and uh, Trout, but there's a little bit of injury there. I think there's a little bit of perceived juice ball things that are going on, especially if Major League takes a pivot. And I think people just don't trust it. And I, I ran a poll between the three, Acuna, Trout, and Yelich. Yelich came in less than 10% as the top pick, where Acuna was almost 30% of the total vote. So. Yelich has kind of, in perception wise, been the clear cut number three. But how you guys are making it sound is almost like if you take Acuna, you are reaching. And I think they're kind of all on a level playing field unless well, you don't I, believe I, him.
2: I think. I mean, if I, if you look at where Acuna ranked, and I understand, just just stick with me. I'm going somewhere with this. If you looked at where Acuna ranked in points leagues among outfielders, I mean, there'd be no question Trout and Yelich go ahead of him. And the reason I bring that up is because. Well, what's the main thing that differentiates the value between points league uh, a player's points league value and roto league value? With these three, it would it would mostly be the steals, the fact that they get inflated in value in a roto league. So yeah, technically speaking, taking a first is placing a high priority on steals and value and, and and reaching for them in a sense. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. Just everybody who's gone with the guy who finished ahead of Trout the previous year has gotten burned by it, including myself. The year Harper finished ahead of Trout, yeah, I've swore to myself I want to do that again, and I'm going to stick with that. That's yeah, as long as Trout that's, is Trout, I'm going to take him first.
0: The other part of that points league equation is the plate discipline, and Acuna had 188 strikeouts. Yelich had 118. Uh, I know Acuna played a few more games, but you know the plate discipline's better. And I just look at Acuna still young and strikes out more than the other guys, and maybe that means he slumps a little bit more. I don't think he's going to hit for as good of a batting average. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. He's not going to hit for as good of a batting average. And if he does get moved down in the lineup, I know what Brian Sticker said, but if he does get moved down in the lineup and he doesn't steal, then, then you know, he's still going to be a great... He's still great. So, no, it's not a reach. But to me, Jelic
1: is... Jelic is, was the best player in baseball the last two years. So, he's the number two. I, there's, there's a lot of people are in that agreement. Um, does anything matter at all? The Cubs in 2019 were the second lowest... Um, in stolen bases per game. And obviously, you've got Joe Madden coming over to the Angels. The Angels were 18th, but the Cubs were at the bottom. Now, in 2018, their totals or stolen bases, stolen bases per game would have actually just been a notch above the Angels. Is there a worry? And we don't need to keep harping on this. We're talking about kind of the top five. But I mean, is there any type of worry as we keep clamoring that Mike Trout can steal more bases, will steal more bases? But is he going to steal more bases? That's not a priority of uh, Joe Madden.
2: I I think it's I think even more of that came from Theo Epstein in the front office than Madden. I think Madden recognizing the generational talent Trout is is going to just let him do his thing. That's my guess. I could be wrong.
1: Okay, but I I don't think that it comes down to does Trout want to. And I'm not sure Trout does, but yeah. is he capable of it? He is. I think all of them are in a relatively close range. There's a little bit of a disagreement here. Age has a lot to do with it. And sustainability, the floors of Trout and Yelich are really hard to deny here. Now, Adam, you took Garrett Cole. You started the pitchers off at six. I don't like taking pitching quite as high, but this seems about the spot that you're going to have to pay for Cole. I never used to like taking
0: pitching that high. I wouldn't say I liked it. I actually was deciding between him and somebody who went, you know, almost a full round later. And Trevor Story, who I think in this format is one of the most underrated players but I didn't take my next pitcher until round five that was James Paxton and then I took Brandon Woodruff in round eight so I basically said I've got Garrett Cole I've got maybe 300 strikeouts now I'm going to load up on hitting and and not really worry as much about starting pitching and and in a roto league like this this is a five by five roto league I know the formula that worked for me last year like I said on the last time I was on I went relief pitcher heavy I had a few really reliable starters I had Giolito I had Darvish I have Strasburg uh, maybe one other, and then I went relief pitcher heavy to get those ratios up. So I have no problem pivoting to that if my starting pitchers don't work out. I don't know that you have to draft that way. Uh, so I didn't want to put a huge premium on starting pitching in this format, like in in terms of numbers, but getting Garrett Cole allowed me to sort of, you know, get hitters in the next four rounds or the
1: next three rounds. And there's so many good ones in like rounds three, four, That's and five that you can it. take. Exactly. Scott, were you with the pitching this early at six overall? I have Cole six. Okay, overall, together. in my
2: top 300 for this format, so yeah. Uh, now I do have him ahead of Francisco Lindor, who went a spot ahead of him. So there's another hitter I have ahead of Cole, who actually went a spot behind him in this draft, and that's Cody Bellinger at seven, who I, I think it's I think it's a clear top five: Trout, Yelich, Acuna, Bellinger, and Betts. Agreed. And then Cole, because, uh, you know, those five hitters stand out so far among the rest. It just seems like a natural spot to stick the standout pitcher. But yeah, I I thought Chris Towers getting Bellinger at seventh overall was probably the steal of the first round. I completely agree.
1: Now, uh, last thing on the first round, I want to talk about my pick here. We've talked a little bit about it because there's some controversy to it. And I've actually kind of changed my tune a little bit. So at nine, I took Juan Soto. And I'm very comfortable with the the floor and the upside of Soto. I think from a like a hit standpoint, a sustainability standpoint, Soto and Ronald Acuna are kind of seen in different areas. It was nice to get a couple extra stolen bases from Soto, but I just so happened to do this player debate podcast uh, over on In This League with uh, Scott Bogman, and it literally was Juan Soto versus Alex Bregman. And I took Bregman's side and he took Juan Soto's side. We we're going through the debates and these guys are really, really close. So you have to consider position eligibility as a factor with Alex Bregman. But I want to change my tune to say that I would have taken Alex Bregman now, all things considered, at number nine. But one thing really worries me about Bregman. I'm curious both of your takes on this, if there's any worry. Mike fires. Yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike <laughs> Fire Mike Fires snitching. I'm worried about snitches. It's, yeah. I was going through a lot of the stat cast stuff. Something jumped out to me when I was comparing Soto and Bregman. I mean, uh, Bregman has got like a 19.6 launch angle, which was top 25. You know, he does a lot of that stuff good. But his average home run distance, where Juan Soto was a 404, the league average sits around 397 average distance on a home run ball. Alex Bregman's was down at 382, which for perspective, and I, people have heard me say this, JP Crawford and Delano DeShields had an average home run distance of 384. So, can you read too much into that to make you change value systems? No, but something it does have me a concern, and it actually kind of reaps when if you go and look at steamer projections. Steamer projections have Bregman falling pretty decently on his homers by a 30% clip down into the, th- I think, 31 of their projections. Seeing a low average home run rate of 382 for Alex Bregman really puts a lot of home run luck in there, and I'm worried about the sustainability of those homers. Doesn't mean he's not a great hitter, but maybe he's not quite as valued as a top 100, or at least safe in that marker. Do you buy any of that? Well, I mean, here's the thing.
2: If you're expecting Alex Bregman to hit 41 home runs again for a variety of reasons, that's probably not something you should expect. You say they project him for 31, well, in twenty eighteen, that's exactly how many you hit. He hit. And you know where we were drafting him heading into twenty nineteen? The first round. Like he has so many things going for him that he can afford, I think, a pretty big swing in home runs. Now, if he if his home runs were cut in half, obviously that would be uh, too much to overcome. But if he's between thirty and forty, I think he's going to return first round value. And you know, by the way, if he drops to thirty one, he's about where Juan Soto just was, so I, I, I Soto or Bregman? I, I, I don't see much reason to draft Soto ahead of them. I oh. thought Soto was actually the reach of the first round. If I'm, you know, if I'm saying Bellinger was the bargain pick at seven, I think Soto at nine was the reach of the first round. Unless you want to say Betts at number two, but of course we've seen Betts finish as high as
1: number two before. So then, Adam, are you Bregman over Soto? Uh,
0: I'm Bregman because Scott uh, Scott picks up a good point here. Bregman in 2018 was the number 13 overall hitter in this format. So number 13 overall hitter, you know, probably a young player like Chris Davis finished ahead of him. You're not going to take Chris Davis. You're not gonna take Manny Machado ahead of him, you know? So, um, yeah, he deserves to be a, a late first round pick. And, you know, I, that's, I think that's why Garrett Cole goes ahead of him because, you know, there are some question marks whether he's really that caliber, like a real first rounder, but, but I, he is he just, even if he hits 31 home runs, he's going to drive in hundred runs. He's going to score hundred runs. He's going to hit for a good batting average, steal some bags. Uh, yeah, Bregman is totally fine and at uh there at that spot and ahead of Soto.
1: But I just want to point out, I still believe Juan Soto is a first round value talent. If you're getting 35 homers, 100, 100 with double digit stolen bases and a close to a 290 average, plus you think of progression with him as a hitter, all of that, he's a first rounder. Yeah. Definitely, maybe a reach because there's more floor players to go with. But sometimes you're playing on the upside. Hey, our friends over at Untuck It, they got a great promo code for you: FBT. Have you ever wondered why traditional button-ups look so long and baggy? I know I do because I'm tall. I'm six foot four, and this is always a problem for me. Plus, I'm not as suave as some of the people I podcast with here with nice jackets and tucked-in shirts like Azer and Scott White. I like it. I like it casual, I like it out, and that's why Untuck It is perfect for me. Untucked shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, their shirts are the perfect untucked length. Untuck it is big in my household. Their shirts were the perfect fit for me and my son. I got the two-inch longer length, which is what I needed. Both shirts I picked up, absolutely solid fit. I was worried about my seven-year-old, who's growing every single day. I uh, followed their instructions. Absolutely nailed it on the first try when we got his shirt. With tons of styles to choose from and a surprisingly quick turnaround time, It's going to be more difficult dragging me to a store than it's going to be jumping on Untuckit.com. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untuckit shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Try it on in person at one of Untuckit's 50 stores or go to Untuckit.com to get started. They even offer free shipping and returns for all orders in the U.S., and you can save 20% on your first order by using my promo code FBT at checkout. Untuckit.com, promo code FBT. All right. Uh, Second round here DeGrom, Freeman, Story, Scherzer, JD Martinez, Judge, Jose Ramirez, Harper, Altuve, Tatis Jr., Rendon, and Chris Sale. Adam, let's start with you with your pick here. I thought you got a uh, slamming good deal on Jose Ramirez after you took a pitcher in the first spot. You got your power, you got your stolen bases, and you got a little bit of value. Oh, maybe.
0: We'll see which Jose Ramirez shows up.
1: Could <laughs> pass him up there. So he was the seventh pick of round
0: two. The Grom Graham- Freeman story, Scherzer, J.D. Martinez, Judge, and then and then Ramirez. Um, I was really considering Jose Altuve. I had a, a, a thought that maybe Altuve would fall to the third round, but I think he showed that he got healthy in the second half and he was arguably the, you know was one of the best, very best hitters
1: in baseball after the break. So and the playoffs help him a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, but even without that, I mean, the guy was unbelievable after the All Star break. But I took Jose Ramirez because of the stolen bases. And you know, I, I I believe in the bat. Uh, but to me, honestly, the story of round two, the story was Trevor Story. Uh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Do you Trevor, think it, he I Trevor Story <laughs> ahead of Alex Bregman, Trevor Story ahead of Juan Soto for me. He really? it, it, why not? He played 145 games last year and finished as a top ten or top twelve hitter. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 10 hitter. He's got two years in a row batting around two ninety with over twenty steals, with over thirty home runs. He's got Coors Field. Why yeah. not with Trevor Story? Well, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I
2: think he he validated the 2018 breakthrough in 2019, and if he's going to keep stealing bases like he has the past two years, he's he's a borderline first rounder. I don't think 15 is that low form. I have him 12. I have him one spot behind Bregman, but I do have him seven spots ahead of Soto. So, um, you know, I I'm more with you than not, though I'd still take Bregman ahead of him. I don't know that he's the story of round two. Uh I think I think the story of round 2 is Anthony Rendon sliding to 23. Wild, yeah. Because I have him I'm 14. Were you salivating and, by the way when it was one pick away oh, from yeah. you? Oh yeah. Yeah, cuz I had the last pick of round 2. I I was I was going to I, not even one second was going to go off the <laughs> clock me making that pick and it wasn't meant to be unfortunately. But yeah, Rendon, I, you know, I wouldn't take him ahead of Story in this format, since the steals are so important. I wouldn't take him ahead of Scherzer, who I think is... There's some injury risk there, but he's basically as good as the two first-round pitchers, for Lander and Cole. And uh,
1: I took Scherzer, by the way, with the fourth pick in the second round, and I completely agree, because Scherzer, outside of if you want to attach the injury stuff, uh, average fastball velocity in 2019, highest of his career, K per nine, Inside the top three, he was in the yeah. twelves. Actually, he was number two, just behind Garrett Cole. All the underlining stuff, he threw his fastball a little bit less to the slider a little bit more. All the underlining stuff outside of some back problems stuck. So this isn't a Clayton Kershaw issue. So I ended up getting Max Scherzer as the third pitcher in the second round to go on top of uh, a guy like Juan Soto. So I felt like I yep. minimized some of the risk in Juan Soto by taking Scherzer. And we end up having you know a total of five starting pitchers taken in the first two rounds. Yeah, and, not, and
2: actually, Scherzer went behind DeGrom in this draft. which. Yeah. But, you know, that, I think DeGrom deserves to go in that same range. I would, I would have taken Rendon right after you took Scherzer there at 16th. I would have taken him ahead of J.D. Martinez. I definitely would have taken him ahead of Aaron Judge. Uh, Aaron sh- Judge and Bryce Harper are the two players in that this was round one. that don't belong.
1: I was shocked that um, Rendon went behind Bryce Harper. That one stood out to me. What were you going to yeah. say, Adam?
0: Uh, well, I don't know, like... I don't know that Anthony Rendon has the upside of like even Aaron Judge or Bryce Harper. I think he's kind of like Bregman, where his best case scenario is probably a first round player. Now, in a points league, his best case scenario is probably like best player in in fantasy because he his his plate discipline is so good. But in a five by five roto with batting average, I think his best case scenario was like a, the number ten player, um, not like the number three two-or-one player with Rendon's. I just say that because, like, he had a career year. I mean, if he goes back to being a 25-homer guy, he's more of, like, an accumulator, not necessarily a category standout, except for batting average. So it's, the question is, like, do you buy, what did he have, 35 home runs this year? I, except for batting average and
2: runs average. and probably <laughs> RBI. I mean, if he stays healthy, he has an injury. The, he, he's
1: hard. had trouble
2: staying on the field. But that's that's the only knock I have on Rendon. I he's mean, you're still you're still saying... You're putting, and I understand fantasy versus real life, but you're putting Bregman and Rendon in the what's the ceiling class? They're two of the six MVP finalists.
0: No, they're great. Twenty nineteen, but, but because Rendon is a single digit steals guy, and he's not going to hit four like Aaron Judge could hit fifty home runs. He has. Yeah, but Man. we've been. I I get it. I he's was gotten just, halfway
2: uh, there uh, the past two
0: years, I, and I, I, I just think, think
2: over Judge. If you're talking about cumulative upside and not just putting all the emphasis on home runs. I I think the upside is very similar for Judge and these other two in in that, you know, the year after he hit 50 home runs, it's not like Judge was a top five pick either, and that was in a less homer-friendly environment than the one we just saw.
0: I would 100% take Aaron Judge ahead of Rendon in an on-base percentage league. Uh, That's not even a question to me. Rendon had a, uh, what? What was his OBP this past year?
1: Uh, 412. Okay. It
0: was 374 the year before. I expect Judge to be over... 400 so i don't so yeah. it's like a wash. he gets
2: on base a lot too
0: and then you get that you get more power so that that's the thing this is batting average and judge should definitely take a bit of a hit uh but in an obp league Judge judges to me borderline first rounder in an obp league you just can't stay healthy
1: now i'm going to jump into the third round and we'll piggyback scott's both picks here but in the third round he started off with rafael devers it went walker bueller starling Marte, machado uh Alberto mondesi charlie blackman Xander bogarts jack flaherty pete alonso javier baez George Springer, and Paul Goldschmidt. So, Scott, you were able to get uh, one of those top-end elite pitchers. You started your draft off with Devers, Sale, and uh, Mike Trout. Not a bad start. Not too shabby. I'm glad
2: you think so. I mean, this turn makes me nervous because (laughs) while I... I, I do consider Chris Sale one of those top-end pitchers. He's the one nobody wants. I'm probably Agreed.
1: one of the highest on him in the industry. So, but you can make uh, that ri- when you take a, when you have the floor of a guy like Mike Trout. I feel like you can take those risks. It enables you a few more risks.
2: Yeah. Well, and I also obviously Chris Sale wasn't going to make it back to me at 48, and yeah. I didn't know what starting pitcher was going to be there at 48 because I it didn't play out this way in this draft as we'll get to. But I expect in most drafts the third and fourth round will be dominated by starting pitching. Um, So sale made me nervous for that reason. Devers made me nervous because among the hitters, I could see going in the second round. He seems like one of the, uh, one with, he has some of the biggest questions in terms of sustainability, repeatability, uh, and with regards to the season he just had, particularly if the Red Sox, kind of uh, start trading off assets and he doesn't have as strong of a lineup around him.
1: Uh, speaking, speaking on your starting pitchers, by the way, seven total starter pitch- starting uh, pitchers through the first three rounds. So 36 players taken, only seven pitchers. It doesn't quite add up, I feel like, to a lot of the narrative we've been talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Two surprise picks, Manny Machado and Paul Goldschmidt. If you want to talk about players that don't belong, <laughs> that felt like those were two players that did not belong in this round. Did you, did you read the whole round? Yeah, I read the whole round off. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah.
0: I, I just, you know, uh, Scott took Chris Sale at the end of round two, and then the next pitcher was Walker Bueller. And uh, Chris Sale, I think he had more strikeouts than Walker Bueller. Bueller had 215. Sale had 218. And Sale pitched 147 and a third, and Bueller pitched 182. Mm-hmm. So, the, so he had 35 more innings than Sale and fewer strikeouts. So well, like, that, that picks makes sense in that regard. Yeah. Sale's upside is still. If you're not back. worried about the injuries, still I mean, makes sense. If you're,
2: if you're just counting double digit strikeout starts, Sale was second in baseball, even though he missed, you know, like two months of the season. So yeah, he's still there's still plenty of reason to believe he's an overpowering pitcher. Uh but I'm I'm with what you were saying there. There are a lot of picks in round three here that just You know, I I think it's kind of just a phenomenon of drafting in in October, November, is that not everybody you're going to get in a draft with you is in the same state of putting together their rankings for 2020. And you're working out of last year's draft room, so players that were high last year kind of get inflated uh, just because of that. Because, like, Machado, uh, Javier Baez, Paul Goldschmidt, like, those those are, like, for me, around... Five, six, and later types. I, know? Thought it, I, I, I thought. I thought.
1: I thought perception, though, by like Mondesi over Baez, I thought people might question that. I think from a team construction standpoint, it's still a no doubter. But like, I'm not sure Bias belongs in that same conversation of those players you're talking about. I mean, he's not spectacular, but it felt like he belonged more than Machado or Goldschmidt did. Well, here's the thing for me, right? Because I agree. I mean, Baez we were killing last year as the biggest Boston...
0: I think we we were pretty wrong about him. But, um. I look at like I look at the hitters that go in, in this round, right? Devers, Starling Marte. Remember, we need steals. Machado, Adalberto Mondesi. I, I took Charlie Blackman. I like that pick. Great value. Uh, Xander Bogarts, Pete Alonso, Javi Baez, George Springer, Paul Goldschmidt. And it just doesn't feel right. But then, like, go to the next round. Whit Merrifield, Ketel Marte. I know Scott's going to like that pick. And Chris, you actually took him. Or the yeah. Welsh, you took him. Labor Torres. I took Ozzy Albies. John Carlos Stanton, Anthony Rizzo, uh, Jordan Alvarez, like Jordan Alvarez. I I don't I don't know how many hitters deserve to go ahead of the ones in round three. You know what I mean? I think that's probably why Scott was saying round three is going to be dominated by pitchers because the hitters just feel a little out of place. It's like, yeah, dude, uh,
1: people, people oh, I, Yeah, I there's think, a displacement.
2: I don't think we were wrong about bias. I I think you guys are. Uh, uh, Understating just how disappointing his year was, like, he went from over 20 steals to 11 in 18 attempts. So, like, is he ever going to run anymore? He didn't that
1: well. It was also last I, year. I just want to point out, it was the team thing, the team was 29th in baseball in average oh, steal attempts as a okay, team. Okay, but so. he still
2: managed to do well, it, he still it,
1: managed to steal a lot of bases for the team the previous year. It, he
2: just, only had 29 home runs,
0: like but the main it, it, thing it he brought is, to the it, table was nine. power. He missed time. He played 138 games. If he had played a full season, he probably would have been about 34-ish home runs and close to 100 RBIs and close to 100 runs with a 281 batting. I
2: think mean, he had a fine season, but that's a really good... Tons use. of hitters did. I mean, Eduardo Escobar had better numbers than that. Well, like,
0: that's saying i like, so. So, I, mean, I don't I Bias know if,
2: finished behind Muncie in this format. Josh Donaldson, Danny Santana, Eddie Rosario. I, he wasn't 25
1: games or whatever. Yeah, you're I, not. To, okay. you, it sounds like you're not discounting the uh, the time missed.
0: Oh, I am like Scott White. I am. <laughs> well, who should? Who should? Which hitter, Scott? Which hitter should have gone in this round? That didn't. Um, let me look at my
2: rankings here. Uh, well, Cattell Marte, I've going in the second round, and you I mentioned see. him going in the fourth.
1: Do you see? Do you see the elapsed uh, time tough. it took Just... me to take him? By the way, look at the elapsed time. Or if you don't <laughs> see it, two seconds it took me to take Cattell Marte on the draft. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, that was. That was somebody who uh, I was hoping would continue to fall to me. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, no, it's, that's really where I see more pitchers going in, in, in my rankings because there are so many redundancies, and particularly Javier Baez-like redundancies. I mean, he's eligible at one of the deepest positions, shortstop. The main thing he brings to the table power is something you can find anywhere. So
1: I, I, I'm. So do you I'm think the third round looks like Strasburg, Snell, and let's say Shane Bieber are replacing Machado, Baez, and Goldschmidt? Is that kind of fair to what uh, you're talking about?
2: I Clevenger, Bieber, and Strasburg. Okay, would definitely be going in the third round for me. I actually have the two Indians pitchers, Clevenger and Bieber, ahead of Flaherty and Bueller, who went early in round three.
0: I think I think that you look at these rounds, right? And you might not see a huge difference between a guy who goes in round three or four. And by the way, Chris, you took. Pete Alonso, and I think that was a great pick. I mean, the guy had 53 freaking home runs. He, he deserves to be a top 35 pick. Um, I think you look at some of the hitters that go in round six, like Carlos Correa and, and uh, Josh Bell, Tommy Pham. Like, I don't know that there, there's such a difference between them and some of those hitters, so why not, why not take the risk? Why not be ridiculed by everybody? Why not take Vladimir Guerrero toward the end of round three, early oh. round He went in round six. Why not go swing for the fences and take an upside? Be, because look at the caliber of hitters that are still being drafted here.
2: Like no, look at the I caliber know, that are dropping. Shit. They're not that good. You don't even like Hobby Bias. And look at the caliber <laughs> of pitchers that are that well, are going it, to be gone. But they're dropping also. But well, they're they gone. shouldn't. I, that I think is going to be a trend that sh- like that. That was one of the biggest takeaways for me in this draft. It's not so much that I complain about the order the pitchers were drafted in, just how spread out they were. When they're really it's really it becomes really hard to distinguish outside of the top four uh, who deserves to go where. And, you know, the fact that there's this range of four or five rounds that they go in to me seems unrealistic and not the best uh, the best way to uh, to account for the drop off that's going to happen at that position.
1: And I, and I think Adam kind of hit on something, though, that once you get closer to drafts, I think at this point there's a lot of people trying to figure out where they are and how they're going to place 2020, and I think once people have a better understanding and more of a draft strategy, you're going to see more risk. I do not believe you're going to see Vladimir Guerrero fall like he did. I do think you will see some pitchers go up quicker, and once people catch up to guys like Ketel Marte, they're not going to let him slip into the fourth round, which takes us... To the end of the show. You thought we were going another round. Nope. It is part one of the mock draft breakdown. Uh, Azer is going to be parting here, so it'll be Scott White and myself next week as we break down the rest of this draft and talk about a few teams. Adam, what's going on in your world, by the way? How many million podcasts are you doing right now?
0: Uh, Just one a day, seven a week
1: for football. That's it. A little radio show on Saturday nights.
0: And every now and then I hop on to a little baseball. Look at that. Yeah.
1: And you're kind of being and you're like watching a little basketball. You're kind of a like a multi sport star now. Yeah. Well the stream's not really working right now.
0: I was trying to stream a couple of basketball games, but then I was like, Wait, I should be focusing on the podcast so I could <laughs> make fun of Scott. But you know, I was gonna I was gonna watch a game but I didn't and I shouldn't and I couldn't and I wouldn't watch those games on the podcast well I
1: promise Scott Adam uh, we're kicking Adam off the show it'll be a much safer place it's a very safe uh, safe zone that I'm going to create for the rest mm-hmm. of the breakdown yeah, of the podcast I need a I safe space I promise you it's a safe space here all right uh, that is everything. Thank you guys for listening. You guys know where you can send the emails. You can find us all on the Twitters and check out this draft recap. Maybe you can follow along with a podcast. Find this. Uh, Scott, Wright, Scott White wrote this over on CBS, so go check that out. Until next time, friends, we will be back with the CBS Mock Draft Breakdown Part 2 next week. You guys have a great one.